Welcome to the Heroic Minds Podcast, where we uncover the heroic stories of individuals battling through adversity and rising to the top of professional sport, business, and life. Uncovering the characteristics, the secrets, the tactics to become the hero of your own story. Because it is adversity that maximizes human potential. Welcome back to the Heroic Minds Podcast. On today's episode, we have Camille Dumont, CEO of Inner City Farms. But his story is a little different than the average farmer you may have heard of. He's actually given up another side of life that could have maybe provided him with with higher income and has taken the chance to farm in the city of Vancouver. And when I say in the city, I literally mean planting vegetables and crops on people's front yards and in their backyards and then selling those vegetables to the people. But it is so much more beyond the food. In this episode, we talk about the social side of the food. We talk about the issues in the world with food. We talk about his risk in in running this company and how he makes that happen. We have some laughs. We talk about people donating their lawns that may not have a lawn that's fit to grow crops. It might have a tree right in the middle of it. So we laugh a little bit about that. We also talk about just the change that can happen through the farming life that he's living and the conversations that it started and how it's changed his life and other people's lives. And it's created opportunity and is a vehicle for education. And this is really all because of Camille willing to sacrifice income for the benefits that he can create for other people in the business that he's now running today. There are two main overarching concepts in this episode. And one is the fact that this conversation usually ends up in a political left-right type of conversation of what we need to do to make things better for agriculture and farming. And that's not how Camille approaches the conversation. He is just simply trying to make things better. And, And in his conversation, doesn't say do this, do that. It's all open conversation. And the other thing is that we don't usually discuss our relationship with food. Food just shows up at the grocery store. We pick it up, we use it. It is so cool to reflect on and learn about really where our food comes from and how it really is the one thing in this world that regardless of your background can bring everyone together in a positive way. Ironically today, our message about true local fits in perfectly. High quality meat, locally sourced, individually packaged, chosen by you, shows up to your doorstep, and it takes a couple clicks just on your laptop. So check out truelocal.ca and utilize my Discount code HEROICMINDS25 to receive $25 off a regular size box. I actually just brought my tenderloin and steaks up to the cottage this weekend and was showing off the, the high quality meat that I get from True Local. Here we go with episode 25. What were you up to as a, a young individual in life? Was farming always a part of your life? Uh, no, it certainly wasn't. I, uh, I grew up in Vancouver in British Columbia, and, uh, but I traveled a lot as a kid. My parents moved around really a lot. So um, I was connected both to this community where I live now and um, also elsewhere rurally in, in BC. And then also uh, my dad's from Quebec. So I spent a lot of time in eastern rural Quebec. Um, mostly my parents were kind of like, uh, they're proper hippies and they didn't really like... Uh, you know, buy into a lot of the the way the world was and, and the way, you know, like the structures of society were, were sort of uh, 
uh, imposed upon them. And they sort of did a, a good deal of rejecting of that. And I was just like a kid that was in that, you know, in that world. So, I mean, that shifted at some point and they decided, okay, you know, they got a bit older, I guess, and decided they needed to, to do, you know, uh, uh, do life differently or whatever. And, and uh, then we ended up in Vancouver and I was in Vancouver. Uh, my parents never did anything related to farming at all. Uh, but I did have some contact with my grandparents who, uh, on my dad's side, who were like, uh, basically like in Quebec, in rural Quebec, there's like, until the sixties, there was like still agrarian societies in some pockets, you know, like where people like farmed and, and dealt with, with growing food and, and harvesting and collecting food all summer and all fall. And then sort of, you know, ate that food throughout the winter. And like, like that, that's sort of, you know, my parents, my grandparents were sort of some of the last people who lived off the land from a colonial perspective, you know, like from, from kind of settler perspective. Um, one of the last generations in Canada to do that, I think. So when I got into farming, it was more of a connection to my grandparents as far as like the, you know, the knowledge, like I didn't get that from my mom and dad. I really just, uh, like when I finished high school, I got jobs landscaping and doing like, uh, gardening, like decorative gardening and like working in people's, uh, houses doing, you know, cutting grass and doing shrubs and that kind of stuff. And he'd just done his teaching certificate and he was like managing, uh, outdoor classrooms and stuff. And, and, uh, it got kind of like, it was funny. He'd always be handing out these vegetables. And then, and then one day he's like, Hey, we should start a farm or something, you know, like, you know, just talking around so we're right in the city and we decided, you know, like, oh, let's check it out. So we, yeah, we decided we wanted to grow our own food a bit and kind of realize how completely disconnected we were from the production of our own food and, and uh, really started very much as a personal idea to grow food for ourselves. We didn't have any space. We didn't have any access to space. Was it more of just an, uh, a funny idea that turned into something real or was there the inspiration of your past family? And when I look at a lot of your story that is on the internet, it's related to the issues of agriculture in the in the world today and specifically Canada. And I wondered if was that like initially that didn't have much to do with it or it's funny. I think it started personally, right? And that like it started with me just being like, whoa, like I don't I don't do anything at all that involves me connecting to my own food sources. Like I don't hunt, I don't fish, I don't grow any food, I don't have like everything I get just comes from the store or whatever. Like it was hundred percent disconnected. And then when this yeah buddy with gardens started talking about food, I realized, oh, wow, like I would like to have a hand in the production of my own food. So it was really very much a personal sort of inception. And then from there, the larger kind of world of food issues and food politics and food sustainability really opened to me. Like as soon as I started seeking out that knowledge, um, I just realized, oh, gosh, there's so much here. And there's so many people working so hard on all these issues. And it's such an easy connection point that right away I was just kind of swept into that world and and it sort of it was a personal start but it became like a yeah professional kind of quest pretty quick you know when you say an easy connection like what do you what do you mean by that into like to the food into nature I guess what it is is that like everybody has a relationship to food so even if I don't have anything in common with some guy that I meet we were both going to eat that day and we're both going to like, you know, and, and you can sit down and share a sandwich with someone. And like, even if you come from completely different universes, you can have this moment that where you're connected and you're like having a common experience and just knowing that everyone's eating all the time, you know, like 
we kind of have a lot of differences, but it's our similarities that that bond us, right? So so through food and conversations about food and gardens and stuff, you can just easily connect with people that maybe you don't have anything in common. I've never heard food as an example for that. You hear the whatever, you know, the language of love or whatever, different sure. things that connect to everyone, but I've never heard something so simple and that's a part of our entire days is food and that makes so much sense that's that's cool to hear was it was it a an upsetting time when you realized the issues that came with the field of doing your own growing and, and agriculture like what or did you already have a a pretty good idea of the issues that did exist in canada and you know we could go around the world or did that knowledge come further down the the line when it became something bigger um I think I, I've always been pretty concerned about like what we're doing ecologically to the planet. Um, like the environmental impact of our systems is really kind of scary to me. It has been since I was a kid. I kind of grew up like scared about oil spills and, uh, you know, like uh, climate change and all these things that are just like these massive issues that you just don't know how to deal with. Uh, and you don't know how to process emotionally when you're a little kid, right? And then when I realized that I could really sort of do something tangible with food and like grow food. And, and that for me, that spoke to my own interest in energy, but really it connected me to a much larger sort of issue. Like the, when I started learning about the impact of the food system and, and, and how this, you know, super important component of the human experience, eating food was like actually having all these destructive side effects in so many ways. And just how connected our food system is to you know, uh, greenhouse gas emissions and you know, social issues and like the way people are treated who grow our food and how hard it is for farmers to make a living. Like I, I, I had the opportunity to go into it academically and the, you know, there's just like issue after issue after issue of how it connected. And I, I really feel like, you know, we should be able to feed our kids and feed ourselves in a way that doesn't hurt the planet doesn't hurt other people, you know, like I want to eat in a clean way. I want the, the, the source of my food to be, um, to be disconnected from the harms that I know our dominant systems can do, you know, so that, that sort of bit me as far as the interest and, and, and the motivation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What would those biggest, I know, I'm sure there's a bunch of issues and a lot of intricacies just judging by the transportation and air, uh, irrigation, everything. I, and I, my background obviously would not be as, as dense as yours in that. And I wonder what, if you could say the two biggest issues are that we might not even realize, because again, we're so disconnected from our food. I guess it's hard to boil down to two particular things. Certainly the impact on climate is massive, uh, depending on which uh, studies you're kind of following or reading, like somewhere around 30% of greenhouse gas emissions are directly tied to the food system. So that's massive. What's nice about it is that it's, you know, 100, 150 years ago, all food systems were local and sustainable, and that was different. So it's not like this, you know, ancient history. It's like we've created this globalized industrial fossil fuel based food system recently. And, you know, that's not great for, for where we're going, but it doesn't have to be like that necessarily, you know, and like small, resilient, you know, systems built with sustainable principles are possible. So one thing is just the impact on climate. The other thing is something you alluded to, which is the disconnect between people and their food. And like the, you know, food is a gateway into a bunch of other things. And you can start with food and you can transition into um, conversations or issues about all sorts of different ideas and topics. Um, I think 
making sure kids understand that food is sacred and food is important and we all deserve to eat well, healthy food. And that healthy food means more than just the nutrition. The nutrition is a key component, but you want that food grown in a way that didn't poison the watershed, that didn't you know, add pesticides to the land, degrade the land, didn't kill birds, didn't, you know, like force people to go work in fields for under minimum wage and like separated from their families and in the crazy farm labor situations. Like when I want to eat healthy food, I want to eat food that is holistically good for me and my community and my planet. You know? I like the way you say that because it's not from this. And I know you use the word holistic, but you put it in a very real way of like, look, that when you're eating this stock of celery versus this stock like look at the issues that came with this on the environment on the underpaid as opposed to this you know this aura or mythical tale of holistic nutrition that people often sell and i feel like it's harder to accept that or buy into that because we're that's so separate from us again we're individuals that just see the food pop out so to see it from the way you explain it is so much more tangible i i, I like that it's a good way of putting it when you when you talk about the grow or the environmental impact of, you know, I guess we'll say producing, growing different crops. Are those emissions and negative impacts from the growing or is it because of the, the global sustainability, like the shipping it overseas or the manufacturing tools that actually are used to break it down, et cetera? I think it's all of it. And I think yeah. what's happened is that in our minds, food has gone from being a part of our families to this kind of abstract idea of um, basically an industrial unit. So whereas, you know, whereas people would collect their own eggs and kill their own chickens and grow their own garden patch not long ago, now everything is super sanitized and it's, you know, like egg factories are just wild. If you, you know, get into a real industrial egg factory and see what's going on in there. And it's kind of like, we've taken the the concept of mechanization and of all this great technology that we're totally, you know, like benefiting from, but we've applied it to food in a way that, you know, is pretty heartless in a lot of, a lot of scenarios. And like, I think like in regards to that disconnect, I think the, the, you know, you're talking about all the different things that, that add up to make this impact. Uh, there's ways we can interfere with that, you know, personally, like one, one thing I always ask people to do is to like, just all, all you should do is like examine your relationship to meat animals. So I'm not a vegetarian personally. And, um, but I try to understand where my meat comes from. And, you know, those, those animals that are in our food system are, you know, those are, those are alive, you know, those are, those are, you know, there's no, there's not much difference between a pig and a dog when you think of the intellect of that animal or that it feels pain or what it can experience in its life, you know, but if you, you know, like if, if you cage a dog, the SPCA will come get you and find you and take your dog away and your neighbors will complain and, you know, they'll be like, and rightfully so, but if you see the way, you know, bacon is made like that, those pigs, are treated in a way that is that is just horrific. So it's up to us as individuals to know when we're eating meat products. Like, okay, what am I contributing to? I'm, in a sense, eating. A, there's a there's a author. I think his name is Wendell Berry that that wrote something to this effect, where it's like eating is an agricultural act. So when you're eating, you're part of that cycle. You're part of that system, and what your choices are depend on how like your that system is dependent on your choices basically. So. 
yeah, the easiest way is for people to figure out, okay, what's my relationship to animals and eating meat? You know, like, do I want to be a vegetarian? Do I want to eat meat? If I want to eat meat, you know, how, how am I going to do that in a way that reduces harm? You know, like that's, I think that's yeah. an easy point anyways. Interesting. And the, way, and the way you said that is that it's, it's up to us as individuals and that's, you know, that, that term could be used many times, but because we are literally part of the cycle from what I'm taking from you, like I, I've never even thought about it that way, but just because we might be the end point of that, that cycle, we're still part of that cycle, which means we can't rely on maybe the, the governmental changes and it has to be us because we're we're inevitably part of that cycle regardless. So if we change our, our ways or our um, habits, I guess we can change the, the greater cycle. I mean, it'll take a lot of us, but yeah. Yeah. And it's a funny thing. It's like, there's a lot of things about like environmentalism and sustainability that is put on the shoulders of that end use, end use consumer. Like, like, Oh, like change your light bulbs and have a shorter shower. And like all these things are just like, Oh, this is my responsibility to save this massive thing. Right. <laughs> that's like, there's problems with that. It's a piece of the puzzle, right? The, when you talk about like, yeah, policy regulations or what, what's the government's role in all this, like that's super important. But the thing is like, we forget that the government is us, you know, like they seem like this, these people on this Island super far away, but like active democracy and getting involved and getting in there is like super important. So, so yeah, the, the, you know, consumer and endpoint driven market change is part of the issue. And, but I think it's more from a personal perspective, like, like, do I like, am I going to feel okay if I eat this hamburger that, you know, like tastes great. And also where did this cow come from? How did it live? You know? And you know, I, I do it. Like I'll eat a burger at a, at a ball game or whatever. Like it happens. Right. I, and I'm not, I, I don't want to live in a way that's like super militant and like, where like, Oh, like I have to feel terrible if I ate a hot dog, you know, like, no, but it's about in my own life, like uh, figuring out what, how can I reduce the impact and the harm as much as possible, feel good about it, still afford it. Like all these, you know, kind of real tangible things. And, mm -hmm. and, and part of with my work is like, like I grow vegetables. Like I actually give my vegetables directly hand to hand to the people that are going to eat them, you know? And it's like reducing that distance between the production of the food and the consumption of the food, I think is really kind of a valuable tool they can, you know, they know that I care about the process of getting them that food, you know, and I know they're going to care to eat it because they're giving me, they're paying me directly and they're going to use that food and they're going to, they're happy to have it, right? Like you can buy, you can buy a cow share or a lamb share or something like you can, you can meet a farmer, you can go visit a farm where they're actually growing meat and you can see like, okay, that's the one I want. It's going to cost you more money. You're going to eat less meat in, in general. It's probably better for you, but it's, uh, it's possible to reduce that distancing, you know, in that way too. I, it's so old school and new school the way you talk about it not many people do what you're talking about where you go hand to hand now it's i'm going to go to the grocery store fill my cart and here you are doing what's old school which is hand to hand when you talk about building or your your work like it is considered work now when did it change from the joke at the ballpark to or not even when did it change to when did the first thought come into your mind that this could be something bigger than you know, watering the the plants after the softball game or however that that played out to something that could potentially be bigger than that. Right. So just to outline a little bit of what my job is, like like what we did was 
we put word out in our community in Vancouver that we wanted to grow food right in our community, in our city. So do an urban farm. So the idea was that people would give us their space, like lawns or front yards or backyards or what have you. And we would convert that into vegetable growing areas. And then what we did is over time, we built a network of front and backyard little farms throughout the city. And we basically control about an acre of space and grow food. So it really just started with, like I, like I said, I was working gardening, horticultural gardening, doing decorative stuff. And we did one full season where um, the, so we, we used this model called, it's called community shared agriculture or community sustainable agriculture. You'll hear it referred to as a CSA sometimes. Like people say, hey, do you have a CSA? So what that is, it's basically a membership to a harvest. So a customer or a member pays a farmer or a producer at the beginning of the season. Uh, and then they basically buy a membership. They're buying futures. So then when the harvest comes in, they get all the customers that have kind of pooled together and pay their farmer their share, get the yield divided equally amongst them. So the way we do it is every week we give people a basket of various products of food, of produce. We do about 16 weeks in the summer. But all that money's come up front. So because like a lot of our costs are front loaded and so forth. So basically we get folks buy memberships. They're members to the harvest. All summer long they get a basket. So anyways, we started with uh, with nine customers or something the first season. And we all had, it was me and some buddies. And we all had on, at, at this point, sorry, you had nine customers on how much land? Like a tiny bit of land, like maybe six yards or something. Okay. Like just right regular city lots in the city, like you know, not not much space. Um, we all had other jobs. We all we were just it was it was a side project. It wasn't you know, and we did one season growing food, and man, it was fun, and we liked it, and we had a we had an amazing year. I think it was two thousand nine. These people that were willing to let you tear up their lawns, yeah, they yeah. were obviously stockholders or stakeholders in the. So the way we set it up was that if you give us your yard, you get a membership at no cost. Ah, okay. And then the rest of the food we sell, and that's how we generate enough revenue to buy our compost and seeds and so forth. And you're not setting up in Ontario anytime soon? Yeah, not me personally, but I will have <laughs> to encourage anyone to do it. If, uh, if they want any advice, they can let they can be in touch. Um, so anyways, the first year was just like, yeah, it was off. It was after school, after work, you know, it was like off the end of our desk. We had a great time. And in that winter, we're like, hey, should we take this up a notch? Like, what are we going to do? You know, and and uh, yeah, I quit my job and said, yeah, I'm going to do it. So I figured out how much money I needed to make and, and how many vegetables we need to sell. And we just kind of pushed hard and got more space and went for it. And it's I've never looked back. So it's been my job ever since. You say that's so easy, but <laughs> looking. So when you making that decision, what was what went into that? Because you're finishing school, you obviously have some job opportunities and you make yeah, you make it seem easy. And I know from all the entrepreneurial stories you read and hear, it's never, the decision's never just, Oh, I'm going to quit my job, move on. What, what was the risk involved in all that? Because at that point you had only had nine customers from what you said. No, uh, it's a good question. It was, it was very much, uh, feeling like I was investing my energy and time into something constructive that made me feel like I was forwarding my personal beliefs and my personal values. It was not doing so in a big, loud, like activist based way. Like I wasn't, it was, it was very, very positive um, to be creating these really beautiful spaces that were productive. And it was the connections to the community and, and the people who like were coming out of the woodwork who would come and, you know, I was making friends with old ladies who would 
come by uh, every evening after dinner and walk by and chat to me about their gardens and and very like Vancouver there's a lot of like a big immigrant population in Vancouver and so many people from around the world who had been growing food themselves for years and for in in the countries their countries of origin and who were just so like surprised to see like you know middle class white kids farming in the in a front yard like that was it was weird and interesting and it broke down a lot of barriers you know what ended up happening is that the the people you know people would sort of reroute their their days to come and connect with me and come and talk to me and and you know being you know we were like in our mid-20s and we were a university educated white kids from Vancouver and we were you know like growing food and and that was weird, you know, it was different. It was something out of the mainstream, but but the positivity was so obvious and like the the way we were accepted by neighbors and and people that like, you know, if you're just standing at a bus stop, they're like people, a lot of people won't even make eye contact with you or connect with you at all. But the minute I was in a garden, I had access to all these worlds, you know, all these these stories and people telling me about, oh, when I grew up in Italy, my grandfather did this, or when I, you know, like or an old lady who doesn't speak English, but so amazed that we're growing Chinese vegetables or something, you know, like it just like, it, it broke down barriers for me. And I, I realized, Oh, like I want to live in a more inclusive place in a space where I'm not in a box, you know, I'm, I'm connected to everyone around me. And, and the garden was just like a vehicle for that. It was so obvious that I decided, okay, I have to do this. Like it wasn't, it wasn't uh, like, it hasn't been, uh, economically a very good decision like it's it's hard to make a living but at the same time socially like the richness is so overwhelming like it's it's connected me to so many I mean I get to talk to you now like it's just crazy where it's brought me you know and I've I've been and then you know at one point like I, I decided okay I want to learn more and I I did a master's program that was involved with food systems that was you know like I had sort of this on the ground experience and then I I dovetailed that with a a true academic experience and uh it sort of legitimized both you know the fact like in school there's lots of people with big ideas but they don't they're not doing anything and in the community there's lots of people doing a bunch of stuff but they don't necessarily have a theoretical framework to nest that behavior in so i, I was i was able to have an experience where you know it kind of got bigger for me but really it was just like passion man it just it was like this is great and I, I love this and i'm doing it you know that was it it was nice that you had almost an accidental target market around you as well, where you had all these people that could resonate and, and probably missed out on the food being grown right in front of their eyes. I think it's, it's cool. Like farming from the sidewalk is what comes to mind. I think that's, that's so awesome. And obviously it goes back to what you said at the start, where it's just this language that food is food is food, regardless of where you live, where you come from, how much money you have. And it's a conversation that can, you know, develop into friendships, obviously, which it's, which it's done for you. It's, it also goes back and we won't get too much into it. We can talk about it all day, but the, the idea of um, economical or monetary gain versus the other pleasures in life that we never, that we don't look at as much anymore where you're outside and you're really, and I was going to touch on it at the end, but um, gardening is my, my girlfriend's in physio and a lot of physios, the ones that she's worked with recommend gardening for everyone and whether you have an injury or whether any for everyone because of the movement and with your back and mobility and, and balance and balance is a big one. She said for, especially for the aging population, like really you're doing one of the most innate things every day of your life. Plus the second thing is communication, which is just another massive part of being a human and 
I can see the value. And then you try and wager that between money and and that opportunity. And I'm just picturing walking down the sidewalk and seeing some you know people farming and and it'd be hard not to say anything. Yeah, and you you touch on a lot of things, and it goes like I say, like I've mentioned, of course, yeah, like old people and so forth. But there's young kids too, like dudes just cruising by on a skateboard who are like, you know, smoking a cigarette and listening to music, and then they they just like they look at us and then they stop and then they wander over and they're like, "What is this?" You know, and then you just kind of take it from there. Like you just like, oh, we're just growing a garden, you know. And in regards to what you're saying, and yeah, your girlfriend working in physio, like like just the the things that happen, the positivity that happened, like you know, like being outside you said it like that was i just didn't want to be in a building you know like i get to spend all my days at work outdoors like it's a huge thing i get to do physical stuff like i get to be strong in my body and feel grounded and that's you know and then like that's my work like then i get to go home and i don't have to go to the gym like I, that's fine right yeah i worked out all day yeah and it's kind of like that that's just for me that works right and then add to that like it's like at one point we started taking on students and interns and stuff and teaching people how to do the work and you know the the way like when you prepare land and clean land and plant a seed and and water it and and see it germinate and watch it grow and and all these like steps that have kind of happened slowly but actually very quickly like over over a couple months it's really neat the transformation that has on people like that, that nurturing and that, that work is, and like these jobs, we don't have any jobs where there's a beginning, middle and end sort of in our, in our world. A lot of things are just kind of fluid, you know? And, or you're just yeah. a piece of the puzzle. You're just, yeah, exactly. you started, you're in the middle man. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, some people do laborers do, you know, but there, there's a satisfaction to dig in a hole, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's like, that's done that I started that and I finished it, you know? And, and there's a certain personal vibe and also being physically tired. If you can tire yourself out in the day, like you're going to sleep better at night, you know, and that's just a deal. So. It is so ironic you're saying that. Three weekends ago, my best friend um, just bought his dad's masonry company from him. And, and he doesn't usually do big landscaping jobs, but I, he was doing one near near where I was. And I said, yeah, can I come help? Like, I'd love to work with my hands. I haven't been out in a while. And we had to move yards and yards of gravel, yards of sod, a bunch of different things. And, and I hadn't done that in a while. And But the tired you're talking about, where it's yeah. just like your hands and forearms and muscles that you don't usually use when you're sitting around or, or even working out in the gym, you don't use these muscles. And it's just a tired that is so satisfying yeah. and gratifying that I know exactly, exactly what you're talking about. It's yeah. And it's, I mean, obviously for people like yourself and myself, like we, if we have even the privilege to choose to do that work on our own terms, like that's huge. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, some people have to do labor or else they're not going to eat. Like that's totally different. That comes from a different place, but that's not where I came from. You know, like I, I have, I have other options. I I'm educated and I'm lucky, you know, but, uh, but I've also, I can also see the value in that work you know, actually touching the earth and actually working hard to, you know, to shape our landscape and to try to steward our landscape in a way that, you know, like, like we're genuinely trying to reduce consumption of water and of chemicals and of all these things that like you might kind of use on the city lawn. Like well, that's the out. We want to do organic gardening instead. We want to grow beautiful tomatoes and, and, and that's our deal, you know? So it's, it's sort of reimagining the, the space in a different way, you know? And, and the, the working experience and like hopefully we can keep making enough money to make it work like it's not you know it's not a it's not a boon but it sure makes a lot of people happy and it and it's it's i think it's valuable work you know 
So then what, what is the plan for that then? You say, you know, economically and, and financially for you to make a living and, and we've, we've been through the benefits for you as an individual, but legally and, and business-wise reading, again, through a lot of articles and then a lot of articles on urban farming that is, is quite popular in the Vancouver area, there's actually quite a few legal loops and leasing issues and inexperience of farmers. This was one of the mm-hmm. big ones. Um, poor soil because you're trying to grow in areas that haven't been used for farming. Um, and then the lack of mobility, where a lot of businesses, you can get up, move away. Oh, this land's not working. I'm going to pop, pop over there. Well, when you have your seeds planted in the ground, it's not that easy. So in regards to all those issues, what are, what is the plan for the future? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that it's a... Um, so just a few notes on urban farming. Like, it's not, it's not a system that's going to feed all of the city, you know? Like, people sometimes think, oh, like, we'll grow all our food in the city and just feed ourselves. Like, no, that's not that's not realistic. Like farms are going to be rural. That's for sure. You know, um, as far as like, it's not a scalable kind of thing that what we do is not scalable, you know, and economies of scale are so important in trying to make any kind of money with agriculture. Uh, that said, it is those scaled giant mega farms that are kind of the issue, right? So the point isn't to scale. It's not to try to get big, you know, I found this really interesting. Here's an entrepreneur taking a lot of risk and he is accepting that growth is minimal in what he's doing. Whereas a lot of our entrepreneurs I've met, the goal is always for the biggest growth, the long-term gain. And I wonder if that acceptance of the situation and acceptance is something we've heard of a lot on this podcast, but in relation to this, is acceptance what is allowing Camille to be so optimistic in what he's doing and have so much fun in what he's doing. And as you'll hear, even though the income may not be as high, what he is doing and the work he is doing may have an incredible benefit to the world in the long term. And you'll hear exactly why coming up. And it's definitely something heroic and that needs to be talked about. Um, the the sort of like, I think the, the impact that urban farming has is mostly that community aspect. It's mostly uh, educating people about their food system and getting people to even say, oh, yeah, like, wow, it takes a lot of energy to grow a head of lettuce, like, you know, and recognizing that, you know, not taking that for granted. And then also, like, we have urbanized populations now, like in Canada, what are we, 80, 85 percent in cities now? Like, that's really new in our in our story, you know. And so the future of farming is probably going to be city kids going out into, you know, rural areas and introducing people to that life is something that we do a lot. Like we've got quite a few people who had never touched a pitchfork before came, spent a season with us and are now like gamefully employed in agriculture, either running their own farms or whatever. It's like a, we call it an incubator cell for farms, you know, like it's a, it's a little space where city kids can like break that barrier of, of getting dirty a little bit, you know, and like uh, getting their hands in the earth. Um, so yeah, the role of urban farms is about, I think more education and like, so maybe there's a, there's a way to monetize that maybe teaching courses, maybe, um, you know, like for me personally, like I, I do speaking engagements, I do these other things that sort of bring in a little bit of, of, you know, uh, of revenue that said it's tough, man, but also like in Canada, the small scale organic farm, like people aren't making any money farming it's tough to make money farming i have a buddy who says if you want to make is if you want to make a large fortune or if you want to make a small fortune farming you have to start with a large fortune or something like that it's like (laughs) it's not great you know so so in canada like our farmers are getting old the average age of farmers is 
60 or so like uh and we need young people involved and yeah so maybe there could be a recognition from some sort of levels of government that hey these urban farms are this gateway into that that industry into agriculture like not sure but it is it's new right like we were we started in 2009 and People had gardens in cities, but none of them were trying to do it as a business or as a, you know, like we're a nonprofit farm. And yeah, that was really new then. So, so we've sort of seen it grow and grow. So there's enthusiasm and there's people that want to do it. So, you know, maybe who knows? It's, it's very creative and people are trying to work it out, you know? That's cool. I also see an opportunity where you're teaching. So taking those, those young, young individuals in and teaching them about agriculture in a way where, and your approach where you care oh. and look at the damage it can do if you're not doing it the right way, et cetera. And then they move into maybe running one of those big farms, but they're running it in a more ethical way because they learned what it, you know, the right ways to treat the environment, which is, I think you're onto something. If you need oh. someone on your resume, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I do feel strongly about uh, being able to eat food and provide food in a way that isn't harmful for anyone or for the environment, for for creatures, for frogs and birds, you know, it just seems like if we can't eat without destroying things, that's a, that's just so sad, you know? And, and I think we can, like, I don't see why, you know, like, I don't see why it has to be that way. So do you ever think about your situation and, and where you are and think maybe there's, maybe I should get another job or maybe I should, you know what, maybe this is because you've, you, which you've obviously accepted the small growth concept, but have you ever thought you know what, maybe I'll have to change at some point or, or maybe I should right now. Or is that ever coming to your mind? Yeah, absolutely. I think about it a lot. Uh, my, I, we just had a baby, my partner and I just had a baby. Uh, so we have a 10 month old and, you know, not having the economic stability that I could have, because, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm relatively hireable. I have skills and I have, you know, I, I have the ability to accomplish tasks. <laughs> um, you know, the, the thought that it's, it can be scary for sure. You know, like that, but at the same time, like I'm proud of what I do, you know, and my, my, the, the mother of my baby was attracted to me because I was a farmer in part, you know, like that, that happened, you know, like that it's my identity. It's who I am. And, and without this job, I wouldn't have this life and I have a pretty good life, you know? Um, it is different than so, like some of the friends I went through school with are, you know, they're buying houses and they're, they're doing stuff and they're going on vacations and stuff. And you know, that's, that can be tough for sure. Um, but at the same time, it's the pros still outweigh the cons, but yeah, that fear is there. And that thought of like, okay, but also like people reinvent themselves, you know, if I hit a point where I need to do something else and where the priorities shift, like I'll figure it out, you know, and, and that's fine. But for now it's like, the good that this brings for me and for I think the people around me is is really valuable. So sticking with it for now. That's incredible. Uh, it's a real question. If people want to be really comfortably well off, they should not go into farming. <laughs> <laughs> Here I asked Camille what the conversations are like when approaching people. Can I use your yard? Can I tear up your entire yard and plant crops to sell to people? And I wondered just exactly how those conversations go or are people saying, hey, I want you to come fill my yard with crops. So that's what we get into here. Uh, at this point, we're not expanding, but that did happen for years and years. Um, a lot of it was 
folks like so first of all we just put the word out in like amongst friends and family because we i'm from here and i know people and my friends are you know like i'm connected so there were enough like folks that were like yeah okay you can use my ear like go ahead so but then what happened is people noticed us in neighborhoods and the subsequent year they'd come and you know make friends and chat and talk all summer and you know they'd watch it happen and then then they hey like when do you come see my yard and see like uh maybe my yard would be good so we sort of had like these groupings of of properties developed totally organically like we didn't plan it that way so so what happened was that because we were established in these certain yards then the neighbors just kind of got interested right and they so yeah we ended up with like little groups in the city so we have pockets of farms now you know like um, so I never, I've never actually really succeeded in saying like, Hey, your lawn looks great for a farm. Like, do you want to give it to me? Like that hasn't happened once, <laughs> but, um, but folks have approached us and been like, Hey, I heard about your project. Like, can you explain to me what it is? And, and some, some people, and also we've had like, you know, it's some people try to give you their land and it's not, it doesn't make any sense. It was a giant cedar tree in their yard or something. And you're like, well, it's great, but you know, that's not how it can't work. So a lot of people just don't really understand. and and uh that's fine it's like it's about you know it's about learning together and working together and you know and we did tons of learning at the beginning and and made mistakes and and you know but we did it with hopefully a good attitude and the sense of humor and just kind of you know rolled with it and now we're better at it now we're pretty good you know so so now presently what is the size customers you have if you or you can ballpark because i know that's that maybe you know information you keep closer to yourself but generally speaking the customers you have and the land that you're using now from where it began with the the nine customers and you know Mm -hmm. a little bit of yard so like it's developed over the years basically we do we do about 50 family baskets a year in a typical year and then we also work with a bunch of chefs and restaurants at one point we got some chefs on board uh which became super important to us as far as our you know our operations but also like a really fun world to get involved with there's there's vancouver is a real culinary town there's a lot of like really fantastic people working hard to make beautiful food happen um so we we do kind of the same scheme where we get chefs to sign up for a season-long harvest and they don't really get to order what they want i just grow for them as much food as i can and you know it works for restaurants that can be creative with their menus and like just just that kind of chef class of people who want to have a fresh sheet every day. And like today we've got this and we've got squash blossoms and we've got 10 of them or whatever, you know, and it's great. And so anyways, it's like, uh, so we'd probably do 15 restaurants and about 50 families uh, a year. So. so what's really cool about the chefs and the restaurants is that I can bring food directly from my garden to them. So that's kind of special. Right. And, and the the plants are still alive. They still got earth on them, and and uh, you know proper chefs really really value and appreciate that. And, and again, that that sort of added a legitimacy to us too. Like when when people were asking about us, I'm like, oh, actually, we grow food for you know this restaurant or that restaurant. And it's like fancy, super well respected restaurant. It's like that that just goes a long way in people's minds, you know. So yeah, we just kind of helped with our kind of brand and our image and. And, and like, I love being a part of that world, man. I love showing up at the back door of the best restaurants in Vancouver with my turnips and my beets and carrots and, and chatting and talking with those guys. And, you know, kitchens are a wild place and it's nice to just have like a little bit of an in, you know, and, <laughs> and every so often I get to eat at those restaurants and they treat their suppliers really, really well when their suppliers are scruffy farmers from down the street, you know, so. In regards to innovating this idea in any way, and I know we talked about education a little bit, but is there anything else from 
the farming side of things are expanding. I know you said you're not expanding right now, but from sales from to restaurants, is there a plan in place over the next year or ideas that you and your team have? So my in my personal life and professional life have taken a bit of a shift in the last bit. I've been uh, decided to throw my hat in the ring for the some local political work. Uh, I'm running for the park board here in Vancouver, which is uh, basically like the public body that manages how the parks work and parks are a big deal here. And um, I think I'm, I'm trying to uh, take some of my experience and my, my work that I've done over the past decade and, and apply that to maybe larger systems that are more impactful. And the one thing I see is if you get that position, are you going to turn all the parks into <laughs> farms? Is that the plan? There are people who are worried I might. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not the plan. I think that the, the bigger bigger issues would be, I mean, I really like parks. I, I play baseball and I play sports. And I, I, I think that, that you know, our park space is super valuable and needs to be open for everyone who's connecting to green space and nature. Like it's, it's not... You know, uh, I do think we should farm the whole city, but, you know, but those not necessarily in our parks. Like I can see a lot more space that is a lot less useful, mostly people's front lawns. Like that space between the house and the car that people don't use is like, that's prime, man. You know, our kids generation is going to be faced with a world that's a lot more harsh than ours if we don't start working on the cleanup, you know, and mm-hmm. and that, you know. Like I said earlier about, you know, the meat animals, like it's, you know, the, there's a part of it is up to us and making choices as consumers. But the other piece is is getting involved with setting policy that is going to guide behavior in a way that, you know, like no one wants to be told what to do, but no one wants to create a bigger problem for their kids than they had realized they were creating, you know. So before we finish up, uh, is, a, is your front yard big enough to provide you with vegetables for the months that they would grow it's, like the average front right. yard we'll say so it's like it's amazing how much food you can pump out of a tiny space basically is how i'm going to answer that like the you know if you have a patch of lawn that you never use and there's sun on that lawn consider it man build a veggie box or figure out a way to convert just in the ground what you've got you know and like even if you just did a garlic crop for example you know like if you grew your own garlic for the year and you didn't buy any garlic imported from China and you didn't put any pesticides on it and you ate the best garlic on your block by far, you know, there's incredible rewards there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you'll influence your neighbor too, because people aren't used to that, you know, and if you make, keep it looking neat and you, you know, and, and or so, you know, grow something you like or whatever. So, so there's, yeah, there's there from just a front yard farm, a family could do real well as far as like, uh, increasing their personal and community health if they just decided hey let's maybe do vegetables you know a lot of people are looking for different outlets to find gratification to bring them into the moment as we're in this overstimulated society that i've written many blogs about and talked about on this podcast a lot and here is a perfect example of something everyone can do and something i try to do is get my hands messy try and garden have i ever grown my own food and crops, veggies, not yet, but now that I've sat down with Camille, I think I'm going to try and add it to my repertoire, but I think it's it's interesting to note that it, it really is something, as we already heard, where you're, you're part of the beginning, the middle, and the end, and the satisfaction that comes with that. And there's kind of been this historic, like, 
divide between the front yard and the backyard where the backyards where you have all your junk and your, and your, your toys and your projects, you know, you got your car on blocks or whatever. The front yard is what you're presenting to the street. And it's like, uh, you know, it's gotta be clean. It's gotta be look, grass gotta be short. You gotta, you know, like everything. Uh, but maybe we can reimagine that, like maybe presenting to your community that no, like I'm, I'm a little bit self-sufficient. I'm, I'm putting this work in because I care about myself and my family and I care about you guys. Like, I don't want, you know, like I, th- that, I don't know. It turns a little corner. And I think it's, I think I highly encourage anyone who has space where growing is viable to give it a shot. And the stuff you grow for yourself tastes so much better. Like there's no, there's, there's no substitute, you know? And do you think that's partially biased too? Because I'll, I'll be honest, I'll make something up in the kitchen that is probably terrible, but because I made it, I'm more (laughs) inclined to enjoy it. So I'm like, Oh, that's terrible. And then I take my second bite and I convince myself, wow, that's that's not that bad. And then the third yeah. bite is like, wow, that is amazing. <laughs> I'm sure it's I'm sure. And as we all know, the power of the mind, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the when you know that what you're eating is clean and grown in a way that's cool and that, you know, all these good things, it's like, of course it's gonna taste better, right? Appreciate this and gonna continue to do my part in learning more about the food that I eat. So thank you for all the inspiration and and the stories and and everything. It's been awesome. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure. And thanks so much for the opportunity to uh, to have a conversation. It's really great. Nice to meet you. That brings us to the end of another Heroic Minds podcast. I hope to bring on more individuals with stories that are very different than the ones we've heard before. And, I, and that's the goal for the future is to, to venture outside of sport and venture outside of standard business and venture outside of injury and to other types of adversities and risk in life that exists. So I hope you liked today's episode. And... I'm excited for the future of this Heroic Minds podcast. If you're enjoying it, remember to leave a positive review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening.